Welcome to Game & Watch with Aaron and James, the show where we talk about games we've been gaming and movies and TV shows we have been watching. I'm Aaron. And I'm James. And today we are talking about the film Ghost in the Shell, uh, which, we, as we all know, um, stars Black Widow herself. Uh, <laughs> big hit in theaters, right? Um, that 2012. Classic. I don't even know what year it came out. Um no, no, of no, course, no. of course not. No, tell us which one we're watching. Uh, we're talking about the 1995 film Ghost in the Shell. And we should probably preface by saying that we are Ghost in the Shell is, as we'll mention more in a second, is, is based off a of manga, this film. And we are not going to be talking about kind of the larger franchise. We're not going to talk about the anime series or any of the kind of subsequent releases of or like sequels to this film. We're only going to be talking about the 95 film. So yes. hope um, you're fine with that, everyone. Well, kind of what I uh, have kind of seen <clears throat> looking up at this, uh, looking up this movie and things about it is that people seem to be kind of in two camps. Um, and I kind of sense that as well. The first time I watched it, you either have seen and kind of are obsessed with the 1995 Ghost in the Shell by itself as a standalone experience or you're just kind of all in on Ghost in the Shell in terms of everything involving that franchise. Uh, I've, I don't really know anyone uh, that's super into the 1995 movie, but has only then also seen, you know, the one sequel or the random CGI Netflix show or things like that. Mm-hmm. I, Would you say that's fair? It is relatively fair. I, I, most of the people I know are fans of the show and haven't seen the movie. Oh, okay. a couple have seen both. I have seen both, as I'll talk about a little bit more in, in a bit, but it's been a long time since I've seen the series. And I, I it really, it's been a long time for, for all of it. So this was, this felt almost kind of new in a way. Gotcha. Yeah. Most of the people uh, that I t- I've talked to about this uh, film kind of have only really seen it and not much else. Yeah. I, I'm not aware of like a huge following for the show. Like it was, it's not ever listed as, you know, top, even like, 50 anime you know and not that i only watch anime in the top 50 but (laughs) you're very yeah strict with your taste yeah um but the other thing though is it's still around like as of what two years ago there's the netflix show um and then i think they did like some movies on netflix i'm not sure but it's like it's not going away someone is watching it someone must be watching it maybe Maybe i should maybe it's puppet master maybe maybe we're all puppet master (laughs) maybe um so let's get into it yeah. First of all, this is, do we, are we going to call this a cyberpunk movie? I don't know if I would call it that. If you would no. asked me, if you had cornered me and said, Hey, is this a cyberpunk movie? Yes or no go. And I would, I probably would have said no. Well, also, okay, so I understand that there are many genres and subgenres, but sometimes when we're splitting hairs like this, and not to you specifically, just to people in general, can we just call it science fiction? It's a science we, fiction film. I would much prefer that. Right? Like, I, I understand there's probably very specific differentiations between neo-noir and cyberpunk, but there's, like, our time on Earth is finite. I just, I don't have time <laughs> to care about those things. I question whether or not I know what cyberpunk actually means. I and it's not it's not something I really care to find out. I think that cyberpunk and steampunk should have a baby and it should be <laughs> like alt future punk in some way. They're going to say aborted. Oh, no, but maybe. <laughs> I was given how much you hate steampunk. 
Indeed. But uh, Indeed. Come on, yeah, let's get, let's get into it. Okay, so I, like I mentioned, this is based on the 1989 manga by Masamune Shiro, which I believe is a pen name. I don't actually remember what his actual name is. Uh, the film itself was written by Kazunori Ito, who is famous for writing the Dot .hack video games, games I have not played, but it's the only thing he's ever written that I've heard of. I uh, I have played. I played. Of course you have. Yeah, I really have. I played all of them but one. Um, and yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, dot hack is a lot about, you know, what is real and <clears throat> a program or a person and et cetera, et cetera. So sounds familiar. Oh yeah. Uh, the animation is by production IG, which is the studio behind anime like Haikyuu. Um, they do various cutscene artwork, um, for games like Tales of Symphonia. They also notably did the anime sequence in Kibble volume one. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's like the same exact same people, but the same company. Uh, the, the movie was produced by Bandai Visual. The score was by Kenji Kawai, who is also famous for doing the original versions of Ring, Ring 2, and Dark Water. Um, I think the score is one of the better things about this movie. I, uh, I say that like there's a lot of things that I hate about it. It's one of the best things about this movie. Um, his nephew is notably, and I'm just going to plug this band, Fox Capture Plan. Uh, his nephew is in that band. If It's a very good, it's very good music. It's like, very high energy piano uh, music, sort of jazz influenced, very, very much video game influenced. Um, I recommend it. Fox Capture Plan. Check them out. I have not heard of them. I will have to do that. Uh, The movie was directed by, oh my gosh, I'm going to screw this up. Uh, Mamoru Oishi. I got it. Um, He, I'd never heard of him. Uh, Really, I, I hadn't heard of much of anybody who worked on this this movie so it's not as as significant to me at least um but uh, oishi wanted to make a movie that explored the positive and negative effects and like that the rise in computer technology is having on our society i would say that he succeeded in that and i would also say he succeeded in his desire to make the movie more philosophical than action heavy uh the producers were not super happy with that but i guess maybe that is the final product we got because it is that's pretty much the case. I mean, there's a couple action heavy sequences, but I would say that it's not like incessant. Yeah. And also, um, you know, his vision for 2029 Japan, as you have, was based on the streets of Hong, Hong Kong. I just wanted to note that because I think all of those things together um, kind of uh, succeeded, right? Like his vision. Yeah clearly became exactly what he wanted. And it seems odd to me that he only directed, he didn't write and direct because it seems like uh, there's such a marriage between the plot and the writing and his vision for direction, like with all of those factors. Absolutely. And one notable change from the manga, and again, I should note, I haven't read the manga itself, but I think this change is is interesting is that, you know, the main character we'll talk about a little bit more detail in, in a second, Major Motoko Kusanagi. He wanted to make her more mature looking than in the manga. Apparently in the manga, she's more youthful, appears to be in her mid twenties. She's much more like melancholy and forlorn and introspective in this than she is in the manga, apparently where she was a little bit more comedic and rebellious. I want to ask you without getting into too much detail about the movie itself yet. How do you feel about that? Could you have used a little bit more of a comedic and rebellious major? Um, no, I am glad she stayed the way she did, uh, more introspective and melancholy. I think uh, if you go back and listen to old episodes, something that particularly bothers me uh, in films or stories in general are really strange tonal shifts. 
mm-hmm. especially tonal shifts that are. Are you telling me to go back and listen to all these episodes? Yeah, I'm telling you to go back and listen <laughs> to our entire backlog and realize that it bothers me when they're kind of jarring tonal shifts. And uh, I feel like in the atmosphere the film creates uh, and kind of the tension it sets up and uh, everything else, I think having the major be kind of like a bratty, sassy kind of young gal mm-hmm. uh, would be ill-fitting. I think um, they kind of make, not that he's sassy or any of those things, but I think they make Togusa, uh, yeah. the new guy, kind of the more like laid back fun one. Um, and two, the other thing about adaptations is... I mean, if the finished product is great, I don't think it necessarily matters uh, that you deviated from the original. Look at something like uh, Kubrick's The Shining, right? Exactly. Deviated wildly from the source material, but you know, I think is superior to the source material. So I would agree with that as well. Yeah. We'll save it for that episode. I, I would agree with you. I I, I think that there, there's a cup, like a little bit of humor in this, I guess, but it's not really necessary. And I think the, the movie establishes a very kind of melancholy tone from the beginning and the score massively helps with that. Uh, and, you know, she kind of follows suit and I, I think it would be a little odd to have her be a little bit more on the, on the funny side. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, imagine her cracking wise uh, with that score <laughs> in the end kind of spider bot fight. Oh, no. <laughs> it just, it would never, no, that wouldn't work. It would never work. I'll talk briefly on the animation. You know, there's probably a lot of this is, that's over my head, but it was using something called digitally generated animation, which combines cell animation, CGI, and digital audio data. And it also used a unique lighting system where light and darkness were integrated into the cells themselves with reference to light and dark sources in frame instead of using contrast to control the lighting. And I think that's really interesting, only in the sense that I have edited video before and using contrast to control lighting is mostly how I did some more like sub- substantial lighting changes in post-production. Um, but the idea of like integrating light and darkness into the cells themselves sounds very painstaking, but very interesting and probably a really good way to get lighting exactly how you want. No offense to the movie. I've watched it twice. I don't think I really have an appreciation for that. Having watched it twice. I don't think I like was like, damn, look at that lighting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, shadows. It's, it's the, yeah, it's the kind of thing that when I go back and watch again, I'll have more appreciation <laughs> for but yeah. Nothing. It didn't pop out to me like crazy. And some of that was also used to um, to create these thermal optical camo effects that mm. the major has. And in general, the animation was aimed for as much realism as possible. The staff even did gun research to distinguish between like what bullets would like either sound like or look like when they hit metal versus stone or other surfaces. It's just, you know, that's pretty neat. So. Did they have their brains removed and placed into robotic shells? We'll never know. Um, to really get into the realism of the character? <laughs> we'll never know. We don't even know if we're real. That's a good point. That's going to be a common theme. Yeah. It's existential dread month here on Game & Watch. Yeah, I think it really is. Yeah. You got to be careful. <laughs> um, so this movie premiered in 1995 at Tokyo International Film Festival. The English dub was released in the U.S. in 1996. The movie never recouped its production costs, though it is a major cult favorite. It was re-released as Ghost in the Shell 2.0 in 2008, which had some updated animations, opening sequence, and a rearranged and re-recorded soundtrack. I will talk about that in a little bit more, a little bit more in a bit. Reception-wise, it was very well received, particularly the story, visuals, and score. At very notably well received, and this is how, kind of how I stumbled across it. 
in the first place is it was very, very well regarded by some American directors like James Cameron, the Wachowskis and Steven Spielberg. And the Wachowskis in particular took inspiration from it when they were developing the matrix, they, you know, showed it to their producer and said like, this is the kind of movie we want to, we want to make. And also the opening credits have a little bit of similarities. Yes. And I remember uh, when the matrix was, you know, crazy popular, I remember there was a slight resurgence in ghost in the shell for that reason. Yes. And kind it, of yep. how I found out about it. And I remember uh, my dad would let me watch The Matrix because he was the more permissive parent. My mother would never <laughs> allow that. But when I would go to Blockbuster and ask him to rent like The Matrix, uh, Ghost in the Shell was always nearby. And I'm like, uh, I know that kind of inspired The Matrix. I want to see it. But because the major is a busty gal um, on the cover and yep. that bust is featured. I, always, I know. And I was always too scared to ask my dad because I thought it was I thought Ghost in the Shell was essentially The Matrix, but anime porn. Uh, and I didn't really understand what it was until much, much later. Yeah, same. I mean, we're not not too much later. So, you know, just to segue into our history, I, I watched it. You know, I don't even know if I, I might have honestly been in eighth grade or something. And and I had not seen it since until I watched it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and then I watched it again today. Uh, so it had been a pretty long time since I've seen this movie. And I remembered very little about it. Uh, imagery definitely I got like major deja vu kind of sensation watching it but in terms of and I obviously its themes are are popular and I you know since seen the anime and so the themes are prevalent there as well but in terms of the movie itself not very little lingered in my mind so it was very interesting to revisit it as kind of a new experience yeah I never actually sat down and watched it until uh, post-college when I was an adult um, and really, really appreciated it. Uh, realized that it was not uh, weird cyber porn, uh, com- you know, combined with the Matrix. And I found a copy of it in a used uh, video store on DVD, like the original DVD um, that I've kept to this day uh, and watched that several times. So this was probably the fifth time I've seen the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen it several times over the years. And every time I finish watching it, I am very warm on it uh, and I kind of leave the memory of seeing it with very warm, positive feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also watching it in a different way than I watched it for this episode. Um, so I have generally very favorable impressions of it. Um, but this is kind of the first time I've uh, kind of looked at it as a, as a film instead of as uh, a vehicle to deliver ideas, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 And as I'll, talk about as we go along and, and talk about the plot and some of the details of the movie in more detail. I, I watched Ghost in the Shell 2.0 today. I watched the original uh, a couple weeks ago and I watched Ghost in the Shell 2.0 today. So I now have an appreciation for the differences between the two and I would say that some of them are stupid. It, it's really negligible. Like I wouldn't really even say one is better than the other they're pretty much the exact same movie with a couple like very notable and jarringly weird changes. And as I mentioned, the score was rearranged and re-recorded. I think the score in 2.0 uh, enhances the quality uh, very oh. much so. And I, and I liked it a lot. It wasn't, you know, jarringly different. Like they didn't really rearrange it in a, in a shockingly different way. I just, I thought the music was more effective uh, and it's already I- pretty effective. Maybe it's my own bias, but I almost feel like every time they remix the music for anything, it's almost always worse. I think I don't don't know why. Demon Souls, Final Fantasy X. Yeah. But I I think that this music was was 
just as good, if not better. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Or of recency bias. But I did watch both recently, so. I have never seen 2.0. I've only seen the original. I figured I wanted to watch it again before we recorded, and I figured why not give that one a shot. I did want to watch it in Japanese, as I told you, but I could not, maybe it didn't look hard enough, but could not find uh, a version that had Japanese audio. Well, I bet if you went to Japan, they would have one. Well, just go and do that. Well, I mean, so I guess you didn't really work that hard. I guess I didn't. Um, I'd love to go. Right. (laughs) They're not letting me in. Uh, yeah. Or anyone. Um, but this is a film with, with a lot of themes. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I we're, sure would. Uh, we're going to kind of, as we discuss the plot, discussions of theme are going to come up uh, because the characters bring them up in some very direct ways and indirect ways as well. Um, but kind of the overarching theme we'll kind of just say up top is um, what does it mean to be, uh, I put human in this outline, but I think really the movie arrives at what does it mean to be alive? Yeah, I living? Com- completely agree. Yeah. And man, that theme sounds familiar if you've seen a lot of anything. <laughs> and I, I'm not trying to disparage this. I just think it's funny how many, how many films and how much fiction and, and such do this. But I, you know, I don't know if I really am sick of it. Despite how much I, I probably have had fatigue from it at some point or another, but I, I usually welcome that kind of theme with open arms. I, yeah, I do too. Increasingly. So uh, as time has gone on um, and when we get to more uh, what works and what doesn't remind <clears throat> me to talk about themes. No. Well, yeah, no, <laughs> you please, remember please yourself. Do. No, I, yeah. I'll, tr- I'll try to, I mean, I'm uh, sure it'll just come naturally. Yeah. But so that I would argue that, and you could, you know, probably agree or disagree, but the, the overall theme is what does it mean to be alive? Yes. Um, and then so kind of all the other themes. Uh, a lot of branch off from that. Yeah. And we're going to be referring repeatedly to both the term ghost. Well, maybe not shell, but we'll refer to the term ghost a lot. And in the context of this universe, a ghost is one's consciousness or soul. It, it's not necessarily a human consciousness though. I mean, at least the movie questions whether or not a soul needs to be a natural born human soul. They make this explicit in the, um, <laughs> the remake, uh, that it's just someone's brain essentially, Ugh. uh, in a, in a tub would love to have remake corner. Cause I've not seen it. I, oh. I didn't want to, I'd like you to tell me about it a little bit. We, we will have at some point remake corner. I think at the you, end, we can do that. you can spoil it. I don't care. Okay. And I'm the only one that matters. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, a shell is the is a is a body. It, you know, it could be a robotic body or a partially human body. It's a body that, that a ghost inhabits. Yes. So, um, one other kind of shorthand we'll be referring to, segueing into characters, is the char- main character I mentioned, Major Motoko Kusanagi. We'll refer to her as the major or major throughout because that is what everyone does in the movie, for the most yeah. part. They briefly mentioned her full name, um, and it kind of always threw me. And I had to look at the screen and realize they were talking about her. Yes, and she is the leader of Public Security Section 9. Yes. Um, so, yes, that is the major. Uh, we find out, though, that uh, she is a ghost inhabiting this shell, um, which explains kind of all of her high-tech abilities. Um, and before we get into the plot, anything else we need to know about the major? Um, I think most of the stuff we're going to talk about is going to be better appreciated in, like, the context of the film. I mean, the, the movie's really all about her. Yeah. Um, so we have her, we'll be, her, we'll be talking about her a lot. Her trusty sidekick, uh, Bateau. Uh, I spelled it differently than the movie spelled it, but 
What are you going to do? Whatever. Uh, Bateau is, is people can't see of, it. They can't see her online. That's true. Um, <laughs> is her kind of sidekick, her partner. Um, he has cybernetic eyes uh, and he is kind of the person that she bounces her thoughts and ideas off of. Uh, yeah. These people, as we'll discuss, don't really have social lives outside of each other. No. Uh, and so they're each other's. Comedy. And both her and Bateau are very cybernetically enhanced there's different degrees of cybernetic enhancement that's available in the future that we that the movie takes place in uh and some people you know we'll, we'll, we meet various characters with varying degrees of that kind of enhancement but both of them are pretty enhanced yes yeah um we got the chief who actually so before i rewatched this uh i had recently seen the remake two times you loved it that much? Um, you know, I loved it that much. No, I, I watched it with different people. And so my most recent memory of this film was actually the remake. Um, so it's kind of interesting how, uh, you know, watching the original and having the remake in my mind kind of paralleled and, you know, went in different directions. But I remember the chief having way more of a role in the original. Mm-hmm. Um, and he really doesn't. Uh, he has a much bigger role in the remake. Um, he's just the chief and he's kind of a good guy and he's a little wily. Um, I mean, that's kind of it, right? There's really not a whole lot of depth to a lot of the characters in this. This re- this is really kind of like a one woman show. Yeah, and then speaking of one note, we have Togusa, who's <laughs> kind of the the newer cop. Um, he really doesn't have a lot of enhancements. He says he has only one in his brain. Um, and so, if there is going to be a viewpoint character, he oddly kind of is, but kind he's of only in the movie for a couple times. Yeah, we're gonna talk about it, but this movie's structure is pretty odd sometimes. A little bit. It's for okay. it's a short movie, and so I don't know. Maybe maybe a longer movie would have actually lent itself to being able to restructure. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I never really thought about that till now. Yeah. Um. So uh, let's. Are you ready to jump into the plots? Any, I am uh, ready. Any other major characters? Uh, we'll get to Puppet Master when he shows up in the plot. Yeah. Okay, so the film opens with uh, a quote um, in the not-too-distant future. I didn't write it all down, but it essentially says, um, you know, there'll be a time when computers and technology, um, you know, progress beyond man's ability to control, essentially. Yeah. Um, And it takes place in 2029. Um, For some reason, seeing this opening uh, and the black screen, it made me think of Mega Man, uh, the opening where it's 20XX (laughs) and he's standing on the building heroically. Yeah. I wonder if that was inspired by it. Maybe. Uh, so we open with, um, like a military or a police operation in progress. Uh, It's the police, but they're very militarized. Uh, we find out that this is section nine, um, as you said, which is kind of the investigative body we're following. Um, one of the characters comments that they're the ones who get their hands dirty. Yes. Yeah. The dirty ones. The dirty, dirty section nine. Yep. Um, so we see our first shot of the major. Um, she's kind of hanging out at the top of a building, um, kind of her leg propped up like she's uh, she's a you know a big anime deal like she's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, we hear the people that she is eavesdropping on uh, mention something called Project Two Five Hundred One, which you can put a pin in. Yes, um, she, it's probably the only really relevant part of the conversation that she's overhearing. There's a lot of talk about diplomatic immunity and different countries trying to get leverage over other countries, and yeah. my eyes just glazed over. I was going to say matter. that exact thing. Yes. I that that's one of the things of this movie that just doesn't it, it, we're not going to get into it really. It, we'll mention some of these conversations maybe to just mention our exhaustion with them. Exactly. Um, so she's chatting with Bateau, and this is where we kind of realize that she is able to communicate. 
either through her mind or in some way we see her pulling wires out of the back of her head um and we understand that she's this uh, ghost in the shell she's you know she's not a person um i know i'm kind of belaboring a lot of these points but it's just to you know kind of set the stage for how her brain works and how all this works yeah um, so the police bust up the meeting. Uh, the chief is there. Who cares? You know, it's some weird political conversation. Um, this line, we're going to have to talk about the voice acting at some point. We can perhaps start with this line um, from the major. Ours is a peace-loving country. Of course it is. <laughs> um, and then she blows the ambassador's head off. Um, yeah, but not is, like shoots him in the head, like shoots him with a bullet that explodes his head and neck. It, yes. And then turns invisible as she falls in admittedly a very cool shot it's a very cool sequence i mean this this sequence is iconic the shot of her like standing at the top of the building is you'll see it everywhere you probably would recognize that shot even if you haven't seen the movie probably but in terms of a police investigation it seems like a really serious error in judgment i would say so like they, they got him the police got him you don't have to murder him now but um, so when the guy's head explodes, we can see that um, his spine uh, and his skeleton and things, he, he's either an android or a, some combination of human machine. Um, and it's kind of to set the stage that, as we said, many people are. Yeah. So but quick thing about the, well, I guess I can talk about the, the opening credits too, because Ghost in the Shell 2.0, the entire opening sequence is recreated in 3D which is super ridiculous when the movie then cuts to 2D. And sorry, not the entire opening sequence, just her on top of the building until she jumps off all in 3D cuts to the police coming into the, 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 you know, invading the, the building all in 2D, just the original footage. But it just switches back and forth between the two. And it's very, very odd. And like she's and it's normal 2D animation for the rest of the scene until you see her go camouflage again. Is the 3D animation any good? No. It looks like an early PS3 era cutscene, which actually that's being a little generous. It's more like Final Fantasy 12 cutscene. Oh, that's damning. It's really weird. Uh, and then the, it happens a couple other times. Uh, another one, you know, with the scene where she's underwater, that's, that's partially 3D as well. The 2.0, and, and that's really the only thing about the 2.0 version that kind of sucked. Uh, the 2D animation is pretty is sm- a little bit smoother across the board, and a lot the, a lot of the computer animations in this movie are redone and recolored and just kind of made a little bit more coherent because a lot of, it's a little bit messy. Some of like the opening credits CGI, and then all some of like anytime like someone pulls up a map or you know, is like doing something on a computer, like some of the, it's a little dated, some of this, some of the CG, and then they, they really make an improvement on that in, in 2.0. Hmm. Well, speaking of iconic sequences, uh, you talked about the opening, but tell us about the opening credits, because uh, that's definitely iconic as well. Yeah, so it's this like, I think the most iconic thing about it is, is the combination of the, the you see major either being built or having maintenance done i think it's maintenance because they talk uh, yeah. about maintenance I've, I've always thought it was maintenance um that coupled with this this kind of like chorus of of japanese singers and it's it's this i, I don't even know how to describe it but it gave me major near automata vibes um okay. there are it's just this kind of like hauntingly beautiful song mostly vocal with like some drum beat in the background 
it's very good. It's very... I, I, it sets a very it sets the mood perfectly. And I don't even know if I quite understand what that mood is supposed to be other than, you know, we mentioned it's a little somber. Well, and that's the thing. It's, it's either slightly discordant or in a slightly minor sounding key a little bit. It almost sounds like it would fit in dark souls a bit, a little bit. Yeah. And by that, I mean, there's, um, there's like mystery, but also like kind of melancholy to it, or I don't know. You're right. There's, there's something else going on with it. Yeah. It's it's the, the the composer like kind of mixed what they say some like harmonies from like Bulgarian music along with like notes from traditional Japanese music. And the intent was to foreshadow a particular union that happens in the mm. movie that we'll talk about. I, like I don't that. I, I guess I mean, I, I don't that doesn't make me appreciate the opening credits even more. I just think it's it's very, very iconic. It shows, you know, the audience exactly what major is, as we mentioned, you know, just entirely robotic in body and very much kind of gives you immediately if the first sequence where she jumps off and you know is camouflage and stuff like doesn't doesn't show you, you know, this really shows you what society is capable of in terms of technology, robotic development. We've we've come so far. I mean, it's 2022. So I, we're almost there, guys. Well, yeah. And I just mean uh, <laughs> as well, it kind of shows how blurred the lines are with, you know, they can make something that is so indistinguishable from human that people may never know. Um, And especially in a film about identity and what it means to be you, it's kind of right off the bat showing you that, you know, humans or human looking things can simply be fabricated. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of nudity in the opening scene. But again, is it nudity because she's not a person? I know. I, I see what you're saying. I, I think that this movie, despite the fact that Major is not sexualized within the story, the movie sexualizes her. Yes, yes. So I would call this nudity in a slightly uh, critical way. I Yeah, that's fair. Um. Really quick before we kind of segue. Well, I guess I'll wrap up the opening credits and I want to say one thing before we segue into kind of getting back into the plot. So at the very tail end of the opening credits, we see Major sleeping and she wakes up in her kind of own. It, it's I've always imagined a small apartment. We only really see a window that you know opens that has this very like view of like a daytime futuristic cityscape. And she kind of walks off frame, seems like the door is like right there. So I always pictured a small apartment, which is interesting because that's kind of like Blade Runner 2049 does that too with Ryan Gosling's character's um, apartment. It's the idea that like, you don't, I mean, it's the future. So maybe real estate has really taken a hit, but like at the same time, cybernetic beings like replicants and Blade Runner or like major in this, like don't need big apartments. I I just, I like those little details. Um, And you had a good note about, this kind of talks that kind of shows how she is and is like, is kind of human and, or is not human. Yeah. It's kind of, cause again, the whole movie, you know, toys with that question. And so she has her own apartment, so she has her own agency and they don't, you know, lock her up in, you know, like a cabinet and turn her off for the night, but 
and she sleeps, I guess, because she has a bed. Does she have a kitchen? Does she eat? There's just, there are probably definitive answers to these questions in, say, the manga or some of the, you know, ancillary spinoff materials. But I like that this film does not answer those questions. Uh, and it, again, like, it leaves it up to the audience to determine how human she may be is or isn't, at least in your mind. Yeah. One one detail I forgot to to mention part of the opening scene is there's this again little details in this movie really kind of sing to me um there are suitcases that are disguised as automatic weapons or automatic weapons that are disguised as suitcases so these these yeah. characters are carrying these suitcases on the handle and there's a button on the handle they hit that drops kind of like the bulk of the suitcase part off and then the rest is like an automatic weapon and i think that's that's really neat I'm really surprised that that is that based on something real. I I've never heard of it, but I I was wondering the same thing, but I'm just not sure. You would think if that became a trend, they would just ban suitcases, yeah, <laughs> briefcases. Please. And at a, cer- yeah. a certain point, we're not going to be allowed to take no. luggage no, onto a plane. No one can go anywhere. <laughs> well, that's how it feels right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, COVID jokes. Yeah. Um, when will so they the- get old? The chief and the diplomat uh, who was involved in the sting, they're just talking about uh, political types of things, asylum seekers. Um, the diplomat's interpreter person, you know, ghost in the shell. I think this is entirely a robot, though. Yes. Um, a computer virus has hacked into our system um, by something called the Puppet Master. Uh, they believe it is a programmer. Yes. Um, and and the, he is on the international most wanted list. Which they mention at, um, at least one time. Uh, but they mention it like it's really supposed to make me into, like scared, which I nothing like that does. Yeah. Uh, you see so many movies with heroes taking down like international terrorists that like it, it, saying that somebody's on an international most wanted list doesn't doesn't do shit for me. It did when I was like six years old watching America's Most Wanted. I suppose. Um, Here's what kind of threw me. So they say that uh, he's wanted for spying on government, extracting information from the government. Um, And they kind of mention offhandedly that he's using it for nefarious ends. So like terrorism, things like that. Um, Having seen the film now, or rather knowing the full plot, um, do we believe that the puppet master has actually committed those crimes beyond stealing information from the government? Um, No. No, I don't think so. I think it's just them saying it to add to his you know uh the need to be caught yeah but their assumption is that the interpreter was hacked by him to for the purposes of assassinating uh people in an upcoming like um peace meeting or something like that they have coming up yeah so they're they're, they're labeling they're labeling the puppet master as bad guy just you know taking over people's bodies or hacking people to to have them commit to commit crimes whether it be violent crimes or or not but yeah you know we'll kind of learn that puppet master maybe is not that's not really his or their goal (laughs) no yeah so we get you know a scene with the major and she's kind of openly speculating about the puppet master with her driver um they're on a mission heading out and she tells him that even though there's no direct evidence for her suspicions she feels it in her ghost which presumably is her mind, her brain, the human element of her, whatever that might be. And, you know, we find that she has more than, she's a little bit of a connection to Puppet Master in a way that the movie doesn't totally explain other than the fact that Hacker, you're just kind of supposed to assume that they can do anything. So the idea that she'd be feeling it in her ghost is, definitely has a little bit of an extra meaning to it. 
And it, so this scene, we are introduced to this truck driver and or like these two like garbage truck drivers. And one of them is talking about how he is ghost hacking his wife's mind to see why she, why she is suddenly divorcing him. And he makes a reference that he met an individual. I don't know if she calls him or if he calls him by name, but we're meant to believe it's the puppet master. Well, as we'll see, and this was my mistake, it's it's a programmer who clearly has connections to the Right. Yeah. He, yes, you're right. Yeah. And then he is, so he is, you know, getting lent help to, he's been lent help to, to hack his wife's mind. Yes. Um, and so what, the reason that the major and everyone are there is they've traced telephone calls that sent the, whatever like virus caused the interpreter to be hacked. And that's kind of led them to following this truck driver. Yes. Um, there's a lot of, after the sequence is over, I, again, I've seen this movie multiple times. I had to process the chain of events of how people knew exactly what they knew by the end of it. Does that make sense? Yes. It's I, like multiple yeah. people are being ghost hacked on multiple levels. And like, it's very, it's kind of needlessly confusing a little bit. Yeah. And yeah. In, the, in the meantime, Beto is out looking for leads, doesn't really have the same intel that the major does. And the major is able to hack into system files and to kind of find which garbage truck they're after. Um, there's some neat CGI in the original, a neat for kind of for the, for the era um, and the even neater kind of like when they update it 2008 um, to show some of these things like that they're doing when they're, you know, hacking into things and looking up things on computers and such. Um, and we see, the hacker who helped the garbage man at a payphone, and when the garb when the garbage truck and the major show up, uh, or sorry, when the major intercepts the garbage truck, this man, this hacker, starts shooting at the major. Yeah, and um, we have our first shootout. Uh, yeah, and I know you mentioned uh, in the development that the director wanted to make something more cerebral and less focused on action, um, but I have to say the action here is actually pretty great. Oh, it's uh, great. This, it's is, this is actually my favorite, I think, act, like sequence in the movie. Yeah, tell us about it. Um, so there is, this is kind of like a shootout slash chase scene. Um, he, the hacker also is equipped with, uh, invisible, an invisible kind of technology, the same kind of cloaking that the major has. And he's also equipped with high velocity bullets, which are apparently more effective against, um, cybernetically enhanced beings. And also, well, and they just blow up entire vehicles. Yeah. They blow up entire vehicles, <laughs> which is, although their, their car, cause the, because the major's car gets like knocked over, but that's, it's armored. And it doesn't, I don't think it blows up, but like, these are pretty powerful bullets yeah. is what we're trying to say. Don't have to belabor the point. Um, and so one of the reasons I like this sequence a lot is because this kind of begins a chase sequence. So, you know, the, the hacker gets away and we kind of get a little bit more of a glimpse of like the market and city. And I really just love getting kind of like a, a an eyeful of futuristic kind of worlds like this, um, especially when they're either, you know, like, Cowboy Bebop esque in a blend of both Western and Eastern um, styles, or just purely Eastern, like in the in the vein of Hong Kong, Shanghai, you know, anything in, in Tokyo and things like that. I, it's really neat, and, and it's not like the most. It's not like it's beautiful, but it's also very clearly like it's almost not like slums, but you know, it, it's a dirty place. It feels very lived in. Um, it, very lived in, but very like again, not desolate. It's just it's worn. 
Yes. You know, like it, it's it's not very little new and, and shiny anywhere. <laughs> it, it definitely feels like genuine urban decline. Like if you've been in urban areas that are kind of on the downward swing, it's what it feels like just updated for, you know, 40 years in the future. Yeah. And so there are this whole kind of sequence is kind of carried by pretty subtle music, but I think it's very effective um, kind of like really tension builder building and kind of that coupled with like seedy, dirty, depressing looking futuristic world. Like I like it. I'm, I'm all there for it. Um, so like, I get like kind of ominous music continues to play Bateau and the major are giving chase. So here's the thing though, as they're giving chase Bateau's eyes, his eyes are a central feature, right? Yes. Every time he's shown, he, he has cybernetic eyes. The number of times we see him use the cybernetic eyes in this film once once in the sequence and all they really do is highlight the people he's running after by making them vaguely like blink and blue colored lights yeah Um, it's really nothing pretty lame pretty lame it's a little lame i I don't really know if i care too much because i just never really i mean he's he's a cool looking character but there's really nothing to him i know but they give the major all this crazy shit and it's like this is like Bateau sacrificed his eyes for this. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I digress. Well, so, I mean, we're pretty much at the end of the sequence. So again, the, the, the chase continues and this guy thinks he's gotten away and he kind of ends up in this, I don't know, like this, this watery area. It's, it's like a, a, it's a reservoir or something like that. It's a real boss arena. It's a, it is Isn't a real, it? it's yeah. like, it's, it has big boss arena energy, big boss arena energy. Yeah. And he hears a noise behind him. He turns around and we find out that the major has turned invisible camel herself. And we get this very neat sequence, like another kind of iconic sequence of the movie. I would say this in the opening are probably the two most iconic along yeah. with the opening credits. And, and this camouflage major just kind of beating the shit out of him. And you only kind of see like her flicker a little bit. Uh, coming out of that camo and so it kind of looks like he's just being thrown around by an invisible person very fun oh yeah yeah this is uh, um in terms of visuals i would say this is the pinnacle of the film uh yeah you, yeah would you yeah say so? i would say that yeah uh before we get into kind of where the cat and so they, you know they beat this guy and they capture him like where the capture of this guy goes maybe now is the time to talk about briefly about voice acting oh please. because yeah it's pretty terrible across the board. And I, I, I think that the, my, in my opinion, and and in some, sometimes it's a little bit better than other scenes. There are some scenes where it is like the first time the two actors have picked up the script and read it and are reading it at a table read. Yeah. Yeah. It does feel like that. I, I think there's a couple of reasons. One, I'm almost positive. They recorded their dialogue in isolation as is, Without you know, pretty, a doubt. Pretty common with all, you know, a lot of animation, mm-hmm. but, you know, for feature films, you know, hopefully you can at least get people in the same room. But I think the other reason um, is that I think some of the direction they were given, they did follow. But for example, I think the major can sound very flat. Um, and I think it's unbelievably that, flat. Well, but I think when it when it seems intentional or when it's fitting to the scene, I think it works really well. And I like her voice, but any other myth, like any other range outside of that is really bad. I feel Um, like there are very few sentences that she full sentences that she spoke that I liked the delivery of them. I think that there's, there's a good way of doing flat 
with for the purposes of like this isn't a human being necessarily you know like getting that point across but it's just it it robs her of personality and i think you need that despite the fact that she's mostly robot um just bad it's just bad bad voice acting i i wish i had you know tried harder to find it in japanese because i think i would have liked that more yeah uh and bateau not much better he's yeah he's slightly better but yeah i suppose again i think every time um i've seen this movie i leave feeling so high on it that uh all these kind of problems i don't really remember um i definitely noticed this time though um definitely noticed yeah um, so this guy, the hacker, so again, like I mentioned earlier, there's this weird kind of sequence of who is ghost hacking who, um, but essentially the garbage truck driver who's trying to ghost hack his wife was himself ghost hacked into believing he had a wife, um, but he doesn't. So he was ghost hacking a person who doesn't exist that he thinks that was, he <laughs> thinks exists because he was ghost hacked. Yeah. Yeah. I they take. I, I understood all of it, but every time I just have to like stop it, for. It doesn't matter. The takeaway yeah. is memories can be fabricated in this futuristic world we live in, and that's a scary thought. And yes. and I, I like, if you just get rid of all the the chaos, like that's a that's a fun takeaway. It's yes. a it's a scary but fun takeaway. Yeah. So uh, again, we get a random shot of the chief and other cops, kind of observing people there's diplomatic talk going on um just who cares about who all cares? that? who cares yeah let's move <laughs> yeah on. yeah um, oh I, i'm not saying you have to stop it's just i just my point no, being I mean, that like some of that shit just doesn't even matter it it comes back around like there are bigger players involved but again even when it comes back around and it's explained they don't matter it does it's just it's it's to propel the plot yeah forward. and again they say that this is like permanent damage to to this this hack this uh hackers mind and such and yes which again Um, scary too so the garbage collector um as we said he was hacked and he never had that wife um and so they they tell him kind of before the scene ends he's asking like well when are these memories going to go away yeah um and they mention that it, it never will he's never really going to fully go back to normal um and so it raises the question that now what is his reality because the reality is he didn't actually have a wife and child but now he has to live with the memories of a wife and child that never were actually there so it's this very strange blending of his actual reality is now completely uh, shattered by this kind of virtual digital reality yes um and then the, the major's blowing off some steam which yeah she's she's engaging one of her hobbies but it's like there's, there's, there's an important meaning to it. So she is kind of equipped with the, with this floating equipment and like diving equipment because she is diving. <laughs> uh, and we find out that she's not supposed to be able to do that because she apparently like with all these cybernetic enhancements would normally sink like a rock. Like this is a, one of the negatives of being cybernetically enhanced and Bateau shows up and is kind of surprised that she's doing this for various reasons. I mean, one, he's kind of, I think she, he's kind of surprised that she has a hobby, especially one that would risk her safety, given that she's like a government asset and, you know, a robot 
Which is also really strange because uh, they are partners, right? And again, it raises the question of like, how how long have they actually known each other? Do do any of these characters really know each other? Or have they been hacked into believing that they're like really close partners? Because he, yeah, he asked her, he's like, I didn't know you could have hobbies. Like he doesn't know that she could have her own hobbies. And I just don't know if that matters either though. It's it's just very strange to me. Um, yeah, I, again, I don't think it has any bearing. It's just in terms of world building, there are things that are said and kind of not commented upon and thrown away. That, and something else is coming up in the scene in the same way that I, I kind of paused and scratched my head and was like, that's kind of horrifying. Um, yeah. Like, for example, like either Bato does not at all really know the major because he doesn't even understand that she could. I don't think he does. I really don't like they could have known each other for like 20 years and I don't think he would know because that's just not the capacity in which they're intended to know each other. Like they, they have a little bit of more of a rapport. I mean, why else would he be here? Why would they be, they shoot the shit and they drink some beers in a second, but I just don't get the feeling like there's a friendship. And I don't know if that's me missing something, but I didn't get it either time I rewatched it. So I I just think it's weird. I I think it's very weird. And then when we get to the line that's coming up, we'll talk about it. Well, you can say it now. I mean, that's basically where we're at. Well, just the idea that uh, like all of they mention in a really offhanded way that all of their cybernetic enhancements are paid and given to them by the government in order to do their jobs. But because of that, the government owns their bodies. Yes. Um, They, they barely mention that they say one line and it's not commented upon and they move on. But that raises all kinds of really scary, horrific questions that like they, if they don't own their bodies anymore, what happens to them when they retire? Do they retire? Do they yeah. work until they die? Do they work until they're killed? Also, too, again, it raises the question, like, I don't know that the movie is trying to raise this question, but just taking this idea to its logical end, again, it's like, this is more fan fiction territory, but couldn't they just be wiping all these people's minds? Like, oh, is, yeah. there, is there any indication that, like, anyone is who they say they is or anyone knows really anything about themselves? I, this whole movie, I feel like, in 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 a way, this could be a knock against the movie in that it might rob the movie of some dramatic weight or urgency. In that, and I think we're, you're you're meant to to not take this to the extreme and think the government could just be fucking with them all the time, deleting their memories, replanting stuff, messing with them constantly while they're getting upgrades and such. I think you're you're intended to, for the most part, trust that bateau. And the major at least have not been meddled with too much because if, if there is this constant threat that they are going, that nothing is what it seems. I think that a lot of the, it makes a lot of the other theming of the movie kind of lose its weight, even though that is tied to the larger theme of like, what does it mean to be alive? What is it? What is reality? It's it's, it's not even like, what is reality? It's just, what does it mean to what, what are memories and things like that? It's all very fragile, but I think that they're, there has to be a constant or else the, the threat of losing your memory or having your memory replaced in like certain circumstances, it, it would lose kind of its impact, right? Like if it's just oppressive and incessantly threatened, like nothing is real ever, then what do we have to attach ourselves to as an engaged audience? What do we have to, to keep us you know, interested? 
Oh, no, I agree. I mean, I'm just going all QAnon on it. Um, oh, I'm not but, saying that's what you think. I'm just saying, yeah, like, I it's just, important to not, for the enjoyment, to enjoy this movie that people don't take it to the extreme. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's like having a movie where everything is a dream. It's like, then we have no central. Yeah, yeah there's nothing to pin our attention on. But, but th- This scene in general is a big exposition dump, and I actually kind of like it, despite the fact that the dialogue, yeah, well, like the, the voice acting is so terrible. I think it's more than an exposition dump. I think this is one of the points in the movie, which happens, you know, I would say twice, very significantly here and near the end, where all the characters kind of stop, uh, or in this case, Beto and the Major, and actually in the other case, Beto, the Major, and someone else. Um, but they just kind of talk about ideas uh, for a while, and it's very slow-paced, and um, the music and actually kind of the backgrounds and imagery yeah. uh, is very beautiful and calm. Um, so, yeah, I actually like this scene quite a bit. Um, tell yeah. us more about it. I generally do, too. I mean, so the, what the major's doing, I don't know if she necessarily explicitly says it in this way. I mean, what she explicitly says she's doing is she, I think she likes to dive down and float back up to the surface. And she talks about how she as she's floating back up to the surface, she feels like she's becoming someone else, which is an interesting idea. But delivered horribly uh, with <laughs> yes. atrocious voice acting. Oh yes. Um, and it's interesting because diving the act of diving, I mean, you're, uh, she's doing it like alone in like cold water. I mean, there's, there's the fear for her own safety, I suppose, but we find out kind of like through this conversation, some things explicitly stated, some things not, some things inferred from later is that the major is kind of feeling constrained and kind of questioning her existence and, and, what she's capable of, what she's allowed to do, what makes her who she is. And I think that she sees diving and testing her own safety as a way of kind of trying to break through the barriers that the world has put up around her. And in that way, I think it's very interesting and, and, and a little fascinating um, given, especially given what happens later. But so what they start talking about over beers is they think it's worth it overall to have cybernetic enhanced bodies, computer enhanced brains and controlled metabolisms. As they talk, they can, it's like they talk about, they can process beer and they don't get drunk. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, go on, but because I think that like, it's a really weird moment, the beer thing, but I think it speaks to kind of the theming. Yeah. I mean, they say it's worth it. I mean, they have to get regular maintenance um, because their bodies are very, very much enhanced, but it's still like they seem to be very happy with their existence. Kind of. <laughs> Do you get the feeling that they they're actually happy? I mean, I, the, you can't tell because she has literally no fucking emotion in her voice. I, I don't know about the major, but I think Bateau and I think most people in that world probably are. Um, and I think the beer thing is emblematic of that because they enjoy drinking beers like buddies, right? Like cop buddies, mm-hmm. but they go, the major goes out of her way to say that they won't get drunk because of their cybernetic um, bodies that, which will process the alcohol in like 30 seconds and they're fine with it. And this is, you know, what they do as friends. But if you think about like what drinking beer between two friends is part of that involves like your inhibitions loosening and yeah. you like speaking in a way in an unguarded way with a friend that you normally wouldn't. And the beer partially facilitates that. I'm not saying that alcohol is necessary, like yada, 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 none of those things. But I'm just saying that drinking a beer between two friends is a uniquely human experience, partly because the alcohol affects you. Yeah. Um, And so I I just think it's interesting that they specifically chose beer instead of water or Coke or whatever, because beer does have an inebriating effect. And with that technology, that effect is gone. 
they seem perfectly happy drinking beer, but at the same time, it's like there's this hollowness to it because yes. it's not it's it's not you're performing the act, but it it's not real. Right. It's like pretending. It it's like playing human, playing tea party. It's like yeah. a little kid playing tea party. Yeah, and I and I think again, like I I wouldn't necessarily call them friends myself, as I mentioned. Like that's not the vibe that I get. But I mean, they very well, they very well could be. This is just maybe how two cybernetic kind of somewhat emotionless friends act. Not that they're emotionless, but they just you know their voices sound like they are. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, they're to me this is like two people who have worked together a little bit and are just kind of starting to bond a little bit more not necessarily like fresh partners or anything like maybe just maybe people who've, who've worked together in a professional way in a while, but have just more recently started. I'm reading a lot into it. I, this is just kind of what I carry into the movie myself. I suppose. And I mean, we're probably going to be saying this to each other for the rest of the episode, but like, it doesn't really matter. No, it doesn't there's, matter. I mean, there's really, honestly, there's one singular event in this movie that like quote unquote matters. Kind of. Um, it's yeah. yeah the end. And, <laughs> yeah. And we'll get, we'll get to it. Um, yeah. I mean, we could fly through some of the kind of stuff that happens in between somewhat fast, but I do want to park on what happens next. Well, so briefly before the next scene, a suddenly kind of at the end of this conversation, this voice kind of in, in the major's voice appears in both the major and Beto's head. And they both seem surprised by it as if the major is not the one that is actually initiating the conversation. Presumably this is puppet master, but sounding like major's voice. And uh, they say, what we see now is like a dim image in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. And Beto is just like, was that you? And she's like, no. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting that it comes the dim uh, image in a mirror right after uh, her reflection in the dive or yeah. coming up from the dive. It's kind of yeah. interesting. Um, so, I really like what happens with this this next little like yeah dialogueless part. Yeah, tell me about it. Uh, there's just a few things that I noticed that I I would be remiss if I did not mention. Yeah, I, I have I have a couple of things I wanted to mention too. So so we just get this a bunch of different like long establishing shots of various like canals and like parts of the city, usually alleyways, not like these aren't like sweeping cityscapes. And I, as I kind of mentioned before, I am an absolute sucker for things like this. I love seeing like the buildings and kind of the world. It's just so much as like, I I wish more movies would do this. Like you're, you're there. This is like them showing you a little bit more about the world and it happens so quickly but it's like almost meditative. There's this like there's because the they're replaying the music from the opening credits, I believe. Yes. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, I would argue uh, there's no direct dialogue, but I feel like there's a lot thematically going on in this sequence. Absolutely. I mean, it's the major is kind of on this like taxi boat for part of it, going through the city and kind of observing people and like the you know in the surroundings and the dirty canals and such. But most notably, she sees I think at least two people or two things that look like her which is yes. interesting especially interesting right on the heels or like this is i love how this is happening immediately after a scene where she's talking about how she has a face and a body to distinguish herself from others but has <laughs> unique memories and thoughts yes because i mean even though she sees like a, a, a maybe presumably human or somewhat cybernetically enhanced woman that looks just like her at a cafe. And I think she sees a mannequin that looks like her too. Well, like, do, do those people actually look like her or is, is that something she's seeing? Like, is that, that's you know true. What I mean? That's true. I, 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 I've always thought of it as it, it's like a vision in her mind. 
Like interesting, it's not, or it, she's miss. She's seeing something that isn't there. Like she's seeing herself as them when they're not. I, I every time I've watched this, I don't actually believe those people look like her. Ah, see, you know, I do. I, I like I like what you're saying, and I'm not I'm not married to the way that I think of it. But here's my like pitch to you: is that this is it's intentional that she's seeing people that actually look like her, um, even just just physically, because it's meant to make you doubt what she just said in the previous scene to doubt any kind of uniqueness that she might be claiming to have and kind of add to maybe why she's like that. She doesn't actually feel that way deep down that she does is questioning whether or not she has an important place in the world. And that like she, if she could be easily replicated, you know, if she is actually as unique as she thinks, um, and just right in this scene, like she's actually seeing this and kind of just being like, all right, well, maybe, or at least the audience is meant to be like, well, maybe it's not as unique as she thinks it is. But what you're saying makes a lot of, maybe even more thematic sense too, because she might have a longing to be more unique than she actually is to be more human. And so she sees herself in at least kind of, the place of perhaps i don't know why i assume the woman that she sees in the cafe looks like, like that her is like an actual fully human being and she's yeah. just like wishing that she was that person but then i don't understand the mannequin thing either i guess the thing that i, I guess that's the contrast right because a mannequin is just a shell right and i think the other uh contrast that i saw is after seeing these humanoid things that look like her or this maybe actual person who looks like her or she thinks looks like her the next shot is immediately a construction project um, so in, in my mind, it's, it, maybe it's, you know, the movie undermining what the major just said in the last scene. I do like that interpretation quite a bit, but the other connection I think it's inviting you to make is, um, kind of her, yeah, maybe her envy, uh, over, that's why I didn't really believe that the woman was her mm-hmm. or looked like her because I almost saw the, the major as like wish casting that she wishes she was her. Um, and yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. Yeah, it yeah. does. I should um, also then, mention this is there's raining like almost the entire time. And I, I love that shit too. Well, yeah. And I mean, anytime there's rain, first of all, huge blade runner energy. Right. And I think huge. that was intentional, but I like um, that it's daytime. It's more it like is. it's and blade runner is like entirely at night. Cause there like is no sun anymore. Yeah. I mean, with both of those films and uh, at least, yeah, with both of these films, I, I think the rain is supposed to be the idea that like, it's this natural force that never stops no matter what. Um, kind of fitting into, you know, the major and the life cycle that uh, they talk about kind of near the end. Yeah. Um, but that's just me. Um, yeah. Can we please talk about the sad dog and the Mrs. Fields? Go, go right ahead. Uh, there's a sad dog. There's a, a Basset Hound, which I believe is part of the, the rest of the franchise in some way, right? I, this looks familiar. I mean, the Basset Hound is like kind of like peering over like a bridge, kind of presumably looking at the major. I just remember I've seen artwork where there's like a taken apart major like body parts with the sad basset hound. <laughs> so I, I think people like the basset hound, but um, there is honest to God, I've never noticed this before, but it's true. There is a Mrs. Fields cookie sign. I, I um, saw your note on it and I looked for it and I just like, didn't see it. I don't you know. Didn't? I, no, I missed it. I'll, I'll go back and take a picture. Of it. I don't there's know how a, I missed it, but I didn't actually, I could have rewound it, but there's a, there's a blurred honest to God, Mrs. Fields cookie sign. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. um yeah so after all this uh so they find a cyborg yeah uh, 
this like blonde cyborg woman uh who is like on a highway in the rain and got hit by a car and section nine finds her yeah yes um so they find out that she was created but created without any programming or instructions uh which is obviously very strange um because she's as you said not human she is purely a robot um and they don't really understand how she could do anything or get anywhere without any programming or instructions uh, they mentioned this corporation, Megatech. Again, there are things that are just kind of said in one sentence and never talked about again that are seemingly very important. Uh, Megatech has a contract with the government, and they're the ones that kind of provide all these augmentations. Um, again, it's mentioned. I guess it's important. I guess it doesn't also matter. Um, so the empty cyborg, though, they notice when they're doing a scan that there is something operating um, kind of underneath. Um, there is a backup program. And from what they can tell that it is operating like a ghost, um, operating like the same way a human mind would. Yes. Um, and then they get a visit. Who visits them? Section six. Yeah, There's a lot. Like yeah. Six. Uh, I don't think we ever meet any other sections. But yeah, the sections, section six chief and I guess a bodyguard of some sort or some other some other individual uh, enters and um, seems very interested in this empty cyborg that they have found. And it kind of through this, there's a, there's a conversation that happens between Major and Beto, and she asks him if this cyborg uh, woman, the, this body, like they they, if they look alike, if the Major and this cyborg are are similar, and Beto says no, she says, well, you know, maybe not physically, but this is kind of when she starts questioning her own like past and, and memories and such as we kind of hinted at before i mean she she expresses concern to him that she doesn't have any human brain cells like maybe if she doesn't have any at all and she kind of worries that maybe a cyber brain can create a soul that believes it is a human soul and so any kind of humanity that she might potentially feel like she thinks it could just be fake it could you know she could have been implanted she could be dead and implanted with fake memories she could be completely synthetic and Bateau, you know, does an okay job at countering this and it's just kind of like, well, he, I think he does say bullshit, uh, but <laughs> yeah. he says, you know, like we treat you like a human, you know, and, and she says, you know, that's what makes you feel human is what other people treat you, uh, how you know, other people treat you as, as a human. And that's an interesting notion. Uh, and then, you know, as then she kind of, ex- again, expresses the concern that, you know, what if a ghost can mimic a real person? Which, like, one, you already know that because of the garbage collector guy. And two, it's seemingly pretty common, right? Yeah. You can go stack each other, which kind of seems strange that they... I guess there's, I, there's, I, there's, I, I like this scene every time, even again, even though horrible, horrible line delivery. Um, I This is like the epitome of table read shitty line yeah, delivery, this scene. Yeah. But I like the content of it. But now that you say that... I guess maybe I should groan a little bit because we basically just got all of yeah. that already. Well, also, so they say this, and then there's there's a leap of logic they make later that the audience probably figured out yeah. way before any of the other characters. Yeah. Um, it's very silly. They're, they're the, just two of these scenes at the... And we'll talk about it and what works and what doesn't. The Section 9 stuff, I'm like, eh. Um, I might need you to take to take the lead once they once they take the cyborg. Yeah. I might need you to take the lead on some of the 
some of the plot because I, I mean, despite the fact that I've watched it t- twice in the last like two weeks, some of that, some of that stuff, I just get a little lost on. I'm really here for like the overarching themes, yeah, the imagery, music, exactly. and stuff. You know, we can kind of speed this up. So, um, I mean, I can I can go through kind of the next part if you want to take it after. I that. just I, I just like camping out on the idea that uh, we feel human because people treat us uh, as humans. yeah. I, I like that. And what it made me think of immediately is um, the Stanford prison experiment. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. 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 We, you know, you're a prisoner because we treat you like a prisoner and it becomes this cyclical kind of identity um, issue, right? You are this way because we treat you this way, but we treat you this way because you feel this way. Right? I was also just thinking of gaslighting in general. Just what if like people could just gaslight, like if a bunch of people in a controlled environment could gaslight you into thinking that you're something you're not. And yeah. then I started thinking about the Truman Show for some reason. I, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's all of a piece. Yeah, it is. Uh, I like yeah. it. I'm here for that piece. Um, so section six tells the chief of section nine that they need to hand the cyborg over to them. And Togusa realizes at this time that the two people who arrive from section six are both cyborgs and apparently section six doesn't use cyborgs. So that is awfully suspicious. And the way that he finds out is I mean he just is this just is suspicious so, in general. This is so stupid. I I kind of <laughs> like it. So I kind of like it. So he he looks up like these garage pressure plates under like that the car are, that, that they took under individually. Again, this is one of the computer things that in 2.0 they probably fixed the CGI of. But they, um, they, sh- they show the little map of the a garage and like all the pressure plates and there's a pressure plate under every single car and nowhere else for reasons unknown. Maybe for this exact purpose. I I guess, but then why isn't there like an alert? Like, whoop, whoop, cyborg here. I guess. Oh yeah, that's no. You're right. You're it's right. Very good, good point. Why have this? If this is a, supposed to be like a safeguard for something, then you have to it's not tied it to anything else. You yeah. have to you have to you have to have the to look at it, and then you, <laughs> you have, have to re- like realize that it's relevant. Um, but go on. <laughs> so obviously they think section six is up to something there's a whole like chat about section six jurisdiction between like section six and the chief i honestly like you mentioned before my eyes just glaze over anytime anytime if politics or like political asylum is mentioned or any the word politics or jurisdiction in this movie i just don't care no um yeah so you want to what happens next yeah so things pretty um, this is pretty much just like a roller coaster to the end yeah so it's kind of a straight shot so what kind of begins the climax is uh this this doll this kind of uh, robot that they found um it's it's now almost like taken to pieces right um it becomes it comes awake um and it introduces itself and it is the puppet master yes um and the puppet master confirms that he is the one who made the cyborg um they call it he it said he the puppet master is more of an it as we'll kind of get to yes um he you know reveals that of course he was the one who infected the interpreter um and the major stares into the cyborg's eyes over the screen which i think is interesting instead of directly one-on-one because later i'll mention it when it gets there uh the major and the cyborg have very 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 similar eyes in a way that no other two two characters do uh, and I think that's obviously intentional. Yes. Um, so the puppet master kind of tells him a little bit about, or essentially all of what and who he is. Um, he was never alive. Um, there was, I think randomly they mentioned that like, oh, we, we trapped the puppet master in a body and there's some speculation that it was a living person, but no, he was never alive. Um, he has free will and sentience, but he's like a digital person. He's a digital sentience. 
Um, so he demands political asylum. Um, this is the one time political asylum did not make my eyes glaze over um, because it's a really interesting idea. Right? I guess so. Yeah. Can like can a digital sentience request human rights is really the question. Um, mm-hmm. That's what political asylum is. And they don't really explore that. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the response of action is essentially giving him a no or, you yeah. know, but yeah. Um, so he kind of makes the argument, which is also very interesting. And we're thinking about that uh, DNA itself is just a kind of programming. It's, it's a, the building blocks of life, um, much in the same way that computer programming, um, you know, forms him uh, and the way that DNA would form a synthetic or uh, organic beings mind. Right. I, I um, love, I love that line. It's one of my favorite in the whole as, movie. As I bungled yeah. it. Um, th- then he says something that I, just never really stopped and thought about, but this time I did. And I'm like, stop, hold on. Um, This I think may be a translation issue. So he says, memory cannot be defined, yet it defines mankind. I was like, memories can be defined. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty clear what a memory is. Maybe. I think that's, I think that's the right quoting of it too. It is. I, 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 I wrote I, it down directly. Yeah. Um, like I, I was wondering, like, was that a translation thing where in the Japanese, that was a more nuanced idea that didn't get translated very well. I, I might need to ask a friend of mine about that. Cause I, I bet he would know. And I also want to read the full line, the, the DNA line. Cause I like it so much. Um, so he says, it can also be argued that DNA is nothing more than a program designed to preserve itself. Which is exactly what he is. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we find out, duh, again, it's like the we're way beyond where the characters are at. Uh, <laughs> they mentioned Project 2501. Um, obviously, ding, ding, ding. This is 2501, Project 2501. Um, and so, again, he kind of explains that he's a synthetic mind created by, he mentions like all this different data kind of on the network. But I like basically the internet, right? Like he says network and things like that, but it's essentially he is built from the connection of all ideas and computers on the planet. Yeah. He just has so much knowledge because he's connected to everything. Exactly. Kind of um, like the Riddler's base at the end of Batman Forever. Yeah, almost exactly, I think. <laughs> um, so there's a big attack on Section 9 um, and the puppet master, uh, he escapes or he's kidnapped. Um, there's I con- think he's there's, kidnapped. He's, con- he's kidnapped, right? But there's some confusion at first. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's a real Chekhov's revolver. They mentioned earlier in the <laughs> film that Togusa uses a revolver, which is not the most efficient. And the second they say that, I'm like, well, that revolver is coming back. Sure um, is. Togusa uses his revolver to get one shot in on the van that's driving away with Puppet Master. Um, it has a tracker in it and Bateau is on the case. Yes, Bateau is um, chasing by car, like on the highway and such. Yes. Uh, the major is coming by air. Yeah, the major kind of, again, connects all the ideas that Section 9 is trying to cover something up with regards to the puppet master. You know, the smart, no kids, shit. In the, the smart kids in the room realize like, yeah, they probably were responsible for uh, the puppet master and are now trying to get it back. Um, the chief, this is very telling. The chief specifically orders the major to destroy the puppet master. He specifically says without fail. Classic. Um, the Yes. The major hesitates. And if you go back and watch before every order the major is given, there is never any hesitation. Tellingly, the major hesitates, um, but ultimately agrees. Yeah. Um, even section six, we kind of realize they don't, even they don't really know what the puppet master wants. They just want kind to of, kill it. They, yeah, they want to kill him. They're responsible for his creation, but they, they're not interested in what he's trying to do. Damage control is all they really care about. Right. And yeah. we get, well, again, we'll talk about what works and what doesn't, but I think a lot of 
things in this movie, especially with relation to like the cops, it feels very like cliche and tired. Sure. Yeah. And so we get this interlude where it's kind of a cliche tired, like cops preparing for a big raid, but with this weird ethereal music. Yeah. Um, What do you think about that? I don't mind it. I think it in terms of musical interludes, it's like the worst one in the movie. I guess there's only really like three. Um, it, it's 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 odd, I guess. Like it, it's trying to create. I, I guess I I don't mind the music, but it's like trying to create like tension, like the build up of like seeing like the cops preparing to capture or kill Puppet Master, and then also kind of like Major getting ready as well. Like it, it's. I don't, I don't think it's very effective in building tension. It doesn't succeed at what it's trying to do. I don't think so either. I think the music later during the actual fight uh, is very effective because it's yeah. very, tone, again, tonally jarring. Um, but I think it works in this. It's, again, it, I was literally thinking that it feels like a lethal weapon movie for a couple seconds when you get like, you know, glitzy shots of like skyscrapers and helicopters. Yeah. Um, which I thought was very strange with the music, but. Um, We then get an exposition dump where we find out everything we've already guessed that uh, section six is responsible for puppet masters creation. And as you said, now they're doing damage control. They just want to destroy him. Yeah. Um, The major kind of picks one of the vehicles that may be the one to follow. Um, It's based on, she says another whisper from her ghost, kind of a hunch. Yeah. A a hunch again. Puppet master basically speaking directly to her. Yes. And it winds up uh, of course being correct. Yeah. Um, so Bateau and Togusa catch one of the pair, but of course, uh, it's not the right one. Um, so, so the major is facing off against, well, th- the truck arrives at the, what is it, a museum? Yes. Yeah. Very apropos. Oh, just wait. Just wait. Um, so the major goes in without backup because, of course, yep. there, yeah, where I'm just going to preview it. Where this movie doesn't really work is when it, indulges in weird police or cop cliches um the major's going in without backup and i'm like really all right whatever yeah she's going in without backup um she manages to spot um kind of an invisible uh spider bot uh kind of over uh the puppet master it's like a tank it's not like a it's not tiny it's like a big it's a big tank it's it's it reminds me of the final fantasy 7 um make a reactor boss not the first one but i think the second one or one of them Yep, a little bit. Um, so it's kind of that idea. Uh, the major says that she wants to dive into Puppet Master's mind and not kill him, um, which specifically goes against the orders she was given by the chief. So again, it's the first time we've seen her directly uh, contradict orders that she has been given. She kind of realizes that she doesn't have much time before everyone else shows up because now they have tracked uh, her and the Puppet Master to their location. Yeah. Um, and she kind of knows that no one else is going to let this happen. And, and we should note that so she, there's a brief kind of fight with it in which she camos up and kind of avoids a lot of gunfire, jumps on, t- like does a flip on top of the tank and tries to like rip the tank's head off in a way or something. Yeah. But in doing so, she, it, it doesn't budge. And so she ends up like ripping her own arms and legs off, like from the, from pure strength of trying to break the tank. Yeah. And then as she's fighting, let's not forget this gem. As she's fighting the robot, bullets from the robot destroy fossils of dinosaurs and destroy a picture of the evolutionary tree of life. Uh The robot destroys the tree of life. 
do you get it? <laughs> um, but yes, you're right. The major in this actually, again, kind of iconic scene, her kind of being ripped apart by the efforts. It's of, pretty um, gruesome looking. Yeah, like, yeah, it's, it's a little it upsetting. Is, there's no like it's oil and machinery and stuff, but it's, but it's made to look a little like bone. And I mean, there's a like, yeah. red inside her. The, yeah. the, the machine like is where the bone would be like it's. I think it's very intentionally like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a little gross. It's intense. Um, but so the major uh, to kind of make a long, long story short, the major does is able to dive in puppet master's mind. Um, and so uh, we'll get into puppet master's motive in just a second here, but, but is with them, but is able to facilitate this process for them. Disable um, the tank. So it doesn't kill tank, her and all these things. So yeah. he is there. Um, so we shift to puppet master's perspective we see again. We all know he was Project Two Five Hundred One. He was created for industrial sab or espionage. Um, he became self-aware, so programmers tried to trap him into a physical robot body, which is what happened. Um, so the puppet master took notice of the major uh, when she was accessing public networks. Um, he is able to recognize his own existence and sees or believes that they are mirror images of each other's psyche. Um, because they both have the same essence. Again, this is where it gets into, it's it's a blend. Like, are they compatible in a technological cyberspace way? Are they compatible in a psychological way, the way two humans might be compatible? But the way in which he recognizes the, that is in a purely technological way. Yeah. By, it's very blurred and strange. Um, yeah. But whatever the case may be, he believes that together... Um, they can become more powerful. They can elevate their consciousness. And most importantly for him, um, because he's not a true living being, he can't reproduce or die, um, which he says is what denotes a living being. Living beings can reproduce and they can die. And so his solution to that is to do both, right? Die by reproducing, by merging his consciousness with a major to create an entirely new unique entity which is this act of procreation? Yeah, that was a lot. Are you, think, are you still with me? I'm no, I'm 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 with you. I've been here. It's it's yeah. a lot of the police stuff is the stuff that really makes my eyes glaze over. But this is all stuff I'm I'm very much here for. I mean, yeah, I think in my head canon that like the puppet master, since he's connected to everything, had his eye on a lot of different people, and I think he probably saw this is someone who's powerful someone and someone who has been questioning their existence and right. she's like she's almost kind of a target more than like is he makes it seem and that when i when i first watched it excuse me years and years and years ago i think i always saw it as like this is someone that he has felt a kinship with yes i think it is a little bit of that but i think it's almost more like a, she's a target like yeah. she's she's an easy mark like he was shopping around for kind the of right, the right. Yeah, he has access to the, it's everything. With. Yeah. Well, I, I like your idea though, that he's been scouting out different candidates because I think again, it works both ways. I think that's a very calculating mechanical thing to do, but at the same time, it's almost like, again, it's almost this human like idea of like scrolling through profiles, right. Yeah. Or kind of getting to know someone. Yeah. It's this weird blend of like, again, how much of it is, genuine the way like almost human like the way that we would interact with each other in a personal way and how much is this weird computerized direct it's very it's very blurred to me which i like yeah um the major asks can she stay herself if they merge 
Um, which is a valid question, right? That would be a very scary proposition to yeah. subsume yourself into another person's consciousness. Um, and the specific answer that is given is no. Um, she cannot stay herself. Um, and that's the point. That's what all life does is, is kind of the puppet master's idea. What's interesting, let's bring back this idea for uh, the remake corner we'll have. Okay. Because the remake has some different ideas about it. She is it a remake though? I, I, I thought that there's there's a lot that's different about it. Like they even bring in characters from the anime that are in the, um, the movie. I, I think it's closer to the 95 film than oh, okay. a lot of people think. Okay. Um, so uh, the helicopter succeeds, blows apart Puppet Master along with the uh, Major. Um, they're basically all hell breaks loose and things kind of cut to black. Yeah. Um, and would you like to talk about the very end? Yeah, I just, I just yeah. want to note though that kind of initially she's trying to hide what's happening from that toe. And he, I think he, when he realized what's happening, he tries to, I think he tries to stop it, but I do think he, he purposely helps shield her head from gunfire once the helicopters arrive. So he's still kind of like, this is someone that's important to me. I'm not going to necessarily say friend, but so he, I think he, it's very, it all happens very fast. I think and, he, tr- I think he trusts the major is really what that yeah. is. He doesn't like what she's doing, but he trusts her. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this kind of like childlike being in a dress with like basically the head of the major. It's very weird. <laughs> it's a little weird, not quite proportionate. Um, wakes up in this residential like home, uh, which is Beto's safe house. And he says, like, kind of you've been you've been sleeping, and everything's all wrapped up. It's a lot of you know boring procedural stuff. And Kind of he asks, like, kind of, who are you? And she says she's neither the major nor puppet master. She says something that I thought she was directly quoting the Bible, the line about, you know, it's time to put away childish things. Or when I became a man, I put away childish things, mm-hmm. uh, which is a direct quote, I'm pretty sure. But then she follows that up with um, either other quotes from things I don't know or uh original writing from the film i don't know but it be it kind of begins with that quote when i was a man i put away childish things Um, yeah which is interesting because you could view it's so strange because on the one hand she is grown up because as the major and the puppet master and the synthesis of their consciousness they have kind of elevated and grown up but at the same time it's a new being and it's their offspring and it's a child and she's also in the body of a child, but she's also this like elevated. It's very, it's very strange. It's very odd. I'm kind of glad the movie ends very, pretty yeah. quickly after that. Cause I don't, I'm more interested in the journey to get to where they are rather than any thought of what happens next for her. Right. Because the movie kind of ends with her in this kind of like, and who knows what we'll do next kind yeah. of like mode. And it's like, what do you want to do next? Like you did <laughs> it. Like the puppet master achieved his goal. Like, I don't, like, what is she going to go do now? Yeah. And then I, I, I don't care. I don't know. And I don't care. The movie and it kind of leaves us with one more shitty line uh, and line delivery of how, like, when they meet again, their, their private password will be 2501. Oh, my it's God. So yeah. Stupid. So stupid. Yeah. Uh, um, but that was Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. That's it. That she leaves and that's it. She I think that we last see her like on, on the top of a building, kind of mirroring what happened at the at the beginning. And well, which also I think is incredibly. Circle. 
which is so stupid because again, <laughs> it's like, you're this new being and it kind of closes with the like, and who knows what we'll do next. And it's like, you're just going to do the same thing again. <laughs> Maybe like the not. whole point of the movie, like was this new being <laughs> that like, ah, me, I think I think maybe more optimistically, she's uh, just like looking out and in, in the on the horizon, and just visually, they want to like. I just know, want her to be, the first scene. No, I want her to like be a piano player or like do she might something be. Diff- just because she's on a building doesn't mean she's about to jump off it in camo. <laughs> I, I guess <laughs> she's not playing the piano. I'll tell you that. Well, maybe, yeah. See, a, right. make a sequel. All right. Well. Um, all right. Shall we discuss uh, perhaps what works and what doesn't? Yeah, I could I could fly through mine really quick because I yeah, talked go about a lot of a lot. I mean, I think the world works. Uh, the world of characters inhabit. I think visually it still looks great, even for a movie of nineteen ninety five. I think it even looks a little bit better, a little polished and smoother in the two thousand eight remake. Um, the music is great. The runtime solid eighty two minutes. Love it. Yeah, great, great. Love it. Um, I don't know if it's a good or bad thing that there's not it the final sequence is not super exciting to me i mean i think it's exciting thematically and i and i get that the idea was not to have a lot of action sequences but maybe it could have used one because i think that all like the best action is the opening scene and then the other i mean there's there's very little action like we talked about but like i think the first like 25 minutes of the movie is the best part yeah, I I kind of thought the anticlimax uh, at the end. I mean, it's not an anticlimax, but the the lack of a big uh, you know action set piece at the end, besides her ripping the tank apart. Yeah. Um. Well, I guess it connects with her ripping the tank apart. I think it was to kind of show that even in this world, there are things that the major is powerless against. Yeah. Um. And so I think it connects to again, like she has to literally kind of give it all up to destroy this. That's true. I, and, and I'm much more interested in, like I mentioned, in the journey to get to that merge than the yeah. actual merge itself. Like, I think that her questioning her existence and stuff and the puppet master talking about who he is or who it is, is more interesting than the idea of them merging. But not that, not that I have a problem with the merge. It's just, it's, that's less interesting to me. Um, but what doesn't work to me is what's like, I, like, the political stuff for me doesn't work at all. It isn't bad necessarily. It just bores me. Um, anytime political asylums mentioned, uh, the dialogue again, as we mentioned, not, not great at times or the line delivery, especially. And I think just too many boob in like nipple shots. Um, again, like she isn't objectified by the characters in the movie, but by the filmmakers, I would say so. Absolutely. It's yeah. It's a very odd choice because she's a, obviously like a very strong character and, if she were taking off her, you know, clothes and going into her camo suit, like looking naked and things like that, like if her character was doing it specifically to distract men because she knew it had an effect on, or if there was some way of her character taking ownership of that action in a way that made sense, I would get behind it more, but you're right. It's, it's, it's done seemingly for the benefit of the audience and no yeah. one else. And I mean, I don't need anything else like from like of what she does with it in the movie or what other characters like react. I mean, again, I like the fact that no one draws attention to the fact that she's naked, like in the, in the world of the movie is, is great. Yeah. But no, like, there, there's like, there's like, you know, upward shots, like, like there's some like camera placement, you know, where there's a boob in frame when there doesn't need to be one. And that's where you just know, like it, it's so telling. Yeah. And I just think 
that's a, it's a little excessive. Um, that's a good so I could do without that. Um, anything else that doesn't work? No, I think I covered it all. Um, all right. For what works, uh, the ideas, the themes. Um, I was saying earlier, I alluded to a couple of times. I usually leave this movie on a high. Um, and I did this time as well. Um, I love the ending. I, I find the idea of merging your, like the consciousness of two beings merging. Um, I know you weren't super big on, on the old merge, but I think that idea is very both fascinating and really frightening. Um, and especially with regards to, um, you know, computer programs and artificial programs and synthesis and in general, like it's a really scary idea to kind of dissolve your individuality and blend with another person. Um, so I, I, I really like that among a lot of the other ideas about identity and who you are, things like that. Um, I, there's a lot, I don't think works, especially this time around, because this time, I tried to view the film as a complete film rather than this cool, um, you know, anime way to deliver ideas, which is kind of how I watch it. Oh, and that's kind of how I watch it, I guess. And that's why I probably like it as much as I do. Yeah. I, and I mean, I love it when viewed through that lens, but when viewed as kind of a total film, I think there's a lot that just doesn't work in terms of essentially everything outside of the major. Um, a lot of stuff with basically anything with section nine with section six with the larger plot with political asylum with any of that stuff that's where my interest goes away yeah. um i think when it's the major having really personal interactions with say bateau like when they're on the boat with the puppet master things like that I, I that's when the movie sings to me um or when the major is engaging in those really cool action set pieces um yeah again like with the um the fight in the dark souls water arena Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, but I think a lot of the surrounding, like, again, not to make a pun, but shell of the story just kind of falls flat to me, um, in a way viewing it this time that never really has before, before I tolerated, uh, kind of the, the shell of the story, um, to get to the stuff I liked this time as a film in and of itself, much like I think a lot of the gangster stuff in the, the Batman film, I, I think is just horrifically detrimental um and takes away from the parts of that film that work and deserve to be on display i think this that's this is the same way i think any of the procedural section nine section six police stuff political asylum really only takes away from everything else that's going on in the film i know they were going off a pre-existing manga uh, things like that but i think of this story were pared down to the major moving kind of from person to person, encounter to encounter, yeah. to find out more about herself and more about the puppet master. I think you would have like an A A plus film, right? I, I think using the plot vehicle of section nine to kind of move all this stuff along and get from point A to point B, huge misfire. I I, I would call it a misfire. To I'm not I'm not gonna say huge misfire but i i'll i'll agree with you on that i was thinking when i finished it this second time today whether this is a better it's better what am i trying to say like would this be better if it was like a 72 minute movie about pretty much just the major by herself very little interactions between her and other human beings kind of just on this journey to find whatever it is that's speaking to her and kind of learns about the puppet master going on. She's kind of just like a civilian in a way that's going on this more quiet reserved journey. Again, you, you lose the action in that regard. And, or maybe she's, you know, kind of a loner. That's like Jason Bourne. That's like all these skills and stuff. 
but she did like that. Maybe she has to like discover, but like just a more of like a silent, like introspective journey. Like it's, it's it kind of like screams like indie movie, I guess. But like, do you think that the movie could be better in that way? Like, I almost like I want more of those scenes where she's like on the boat, and like the canal and like observing her surroundings with like great music. <laughs> That's well, what I want. Kind of as you were saying it, I was thinking about that and realizing that does anything really about uh, like the, the trappings of, I guess, the manga plot, like the guns, the shootouts, the police, like does any of that actually thematically resonate with with the themes that are going on in the film? Not really, right? I'm trying um, to think of- I, I would say only in the sense of she is tied to a government machine. She's part of the government machine, and that is a very controlling body, and that exhibits control over people who have been advanced by a technology that allows control to be exhibited over them more easily. I so guess I I'm, think it's connected in that way. Yeah, I guess I'm just thinking of other cerebral films that I like, like say 2001, um, right? Or Cars. Yeah, or Cars, <laughs> Cars too. Yeah. Um, no, 2001 is obviously a very um, you know heady film, sort of in the same way this is trying to be. Um, but in 2001, the peril that the characters undergo, like say example, or for example, with Hal, like the the peril of Hal and what they have to do like in that scenario directly pairs with the themes of that film. Do you know what I mean? Like the danger that hell represents is a one-on-one parallel with the themes of what they're trying to talk about with technology and humanity. Right. Whereas like the dangers and perils of like police shoot 'em ups really does nothing to thematically tie to these bigger questions of identity. Whereas something like the matrix was, which was inspired by this, the matrix, the perils of the matrix are like the dangers of these, you know, these dangerous programs coming after you to snuff out your, your uh, kind of higher knowledge of what's going on in the world. Right. That's a danger that again, directly ties one-on-one with the themes of the matrix. Um, So just as you were saying that, it just made me realize, like, I really don't think the trappings of the plot, the section and the police work, it, it just doesn't line up thematically very well to me in ways that other franchises have. I think it could be lined up better. Yeah. yeah. And I also think that maybe it's our fault for expecting more from a manga slash anime. <laughs> Stop it. Stop <laughs> it. Um, well, in terms of I, other. I'm kidding. I sort know. Of. I know. In ter- Stop it. Um, in terms <laughs> of other media, though, um, what would a Ghost in the Shell video game look like? So it does exist as one. I have uh, heard. I've of- heard of it. I watched a little bit of footage. It seems fine. It's like a 3D game for the, play- for the original PlayStation. I thought this is like a, I mean, there's some graphics, but it's like mainly text-based detective story slash like adventure in the form of you as the major interfacing with various other people's brains to gather clues to follow puppet master, no action, no like combat, just you kind of like just dialogue trees with like good graphics and good music accompanying it. So like a telltale game, essentially. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Um, I I was imagining like, like it's, 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 it's presented in like an interface of like you like almost like hacking into other people's heads and stuff, but not really like, you're like talking over the internet with people or like your, your mind's connected to them. It's not like exactly like, like playing out cut scenes like telltale. 
Okay, now that you're saying that out loud, how cool would that be as a VR experience where you put the VR headset on like the major um, and everything happens through like a headset majors like heads up display? That'd be great. But you know that that game wouldn't be made without you being able to look down and see your naked tits. (sighs) Yeah, that's the real that's the real shame of it, isn't it? Yep. (laughs) What's Um, yours? So mine was pretty generic, but I, I think it's okay. Um, it's it's probably what the PS1 game sort of was, was trying to be, um, like a stealth action shooter, um, which again, after I made that whole point about how like, ah, the skeleton of this doesn't fit thematically, it's the stupid police. You know, <laughs> as I'm like, oh, it's going to be a very stereotypical stealth action shooter. Um, but I thought that what could set it apart is um, you would hack. You would, you would have hacking constantly, and that would become kind of its own mini game. And then what I thought would be interesting is a hybrid um, action hacking gameplay system. Um, so before you can, you know, perhaps fight enemies in more of like a Devil May Cry Bayonetta kind of way um, or shoot at them or whatever the case may be, you would have to kind of hack them and break them with hacking first. Um, can you can you tell me, though, can you or can you promise me that this fake game will make hacking more fun and interesting than basically literally every game that's ever existed. Well, okay. So as I was describing this and typing it out, I was like, did I just describe watchdogs? Cause I've never <laughs> played watchdogs, it. Bioshock, I, Batman, I, well, all of hacking and Bioshock's not quite the same thing, but I was like, right. is this what watchdogs? I played the first two, like hour or two of watchdogs and stopped. I was so bored by it. Is, is it though? I don't even know. It, it kind of, like, you can kind of hack anything and I don't know. I mean, right, I, well, I only played a couple hours. I'm proposing uh, Ghost in the Shell uh, watchdogs. You know what would be a funny bit? If you, for like with his stone-faced, proposed a rhythm game every single time for like 100 episodes. I would love that. And never broke from that and did it seriously. That'd be great. I would love that. Yeah. Um, uh, would you want to live in this world? No. Okay. <laughs> then that makes my follow-up questions irrelevant because I wouldn't either. But I do, I mean, maybe we could still ask this question. So let's say you had to live in this world. Would you want to be cybernetically enhanced in any way? And if so, like what kind? Like I wouldn't, I I wouldn't want a a shred of it. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Because um, again, they're like, it's blink and you miss it, but there's weird ownership issues if you chose like choose to get enhanced. I know theirs is like through the police, but if you're just a person off the street, like does someone else own your enhancement and you're only yeah. renting it? Like, what does that even and look like? You have like? to go for maintenance. So you're, you kind of indebted to somebody and no matter how you look at it. Um, also, I'm super paranoid and I would immediately assume every time I went into maintenance, when I woke up, uh, I didn't exist before. And that yeah. made it, right. I mean, exactly. I would never want to do it. No. Um, you wouldn't even want those like crazy robot hands that turn into like crazy, like being, being able to like, type on a keyboard really fast <laughs> okay so we should describe this we should camp on this for a second so uh the section six is like body guy <laughs> like <her laughs> i don't know <laughs> person um robot friend his hands break apart into like almost like a keyboard's worth of fingers yeah and he can just like type everything on the keyboard incredibly fast. Probably the most useful enhancement in the movie. <laughs> you know, well, yes, it is. And do you know what I was specifically thinking of? What? Um, I was like, this movie came out in 95. I bet the people who saw this, the few people who did, but I bet a lot of them were thinking like, I bet I could type like that on, or I wish I could type like that on AIM. And then I just <laughs> fell into a rabbit hole about thinking about AIM chats. Do you remember AIM? <laughs> oh, I remember Does AIM. Does anyone remember AIM? Every, I think... 
probably people listening to this remember aim so yeah i uh when the guy's hand split apart and he started typing i was like i bet the 95 kids who had aim were big into that (laughs) um what fan fiction did you find you know there's there's a lot i would say and some of it touched on anime stuff so i didn't well and that's the thing did you search ghost in the shell general i specifically searched ghost in the shell 1995 i i ended up switching to that and i think i kind of ended up getting some i mean there's nothing i found that was like super super specific but i I mean really i didn't find there's obviously a lot of smut because obviously yeah um there was there's just two i wanted to know one only because it was 57 chapters so i admire it it's called world's finest in ghost city it is a i mean i didn't really get deep into it it is a it was a pretty boring uh, at least from what I read, Batman and Superman and Ghost in the Shell crossover. Fair enough. The other I I found uh, is another is a great co- crossover called Explorer in the Shell. Oh, okay, yeah, we can we can tag team this one. Okay, uh, I mean, I'll just I'll just introduce it, and you can if you want to talk about specifics. So this is about Dora the Explorer <laughs> yes. finding out that all of her experiences and all of her time hanging out with Boots have been simulated experiences created by the puppet master. <laughs> can, <laughs> I loved can I, it. Can I, can I please, for the love of God, read the author's note? Oh, absolutely. I love okay. it. Just so you know. Well, I won't do the disclaimer, but <clears throat> author's note. Just so you know, the main cast is not going to appear in this fan fiction until the very end. The story may seem like it doesn't have Ghost in the Shell elements at first, but just keep on reading and you'll see them soon enough. <laughs> Also, this story takes place during the Puppet Master case, one of which also, I think that's adorable. I now want to call this movie Ghost in the Shell, colon, the Puppet Master case. (laughs) Um, One more thing. I don't think Dora really has a last name, but for the purpose of the fan fiction, I will give her the last name Rodriguez. (laughs) The story is divided into two parts, one that's a parody and one that's a tragedy. This story is rated T for language and the later tragic atmosphere. That's the. Did you note. feel the tragedy? Did you feel the weight of the tragedy when uh, she found well, out that that Boots isn't real? Did you read the author's note at the end? Actually, no, I didn't. <laughs> the author's note is the best part of this whole thing. Okay, so the author's note at the end finished. So, does anyone feel sorry for Dora, or do you think she <laughs> got what she deserved? <laughs> I wrote that down, and I was like, "Excuse me," and then I went back and reread it. I was like, "Got what she deserved." <laughs> Personally, I really don't like Dora. Then why did you write this? <laughs> but that doesn't mean that I'm one of those authors who kill off hated characters, unless deemed necessary, of course. Either way, this was my crazy idea to explain her childish world, whether you enjoyed it or not. I hope you did, though. Thank you for reading. Please review and let me know what you think. If you wow. plan on flaming me, however, then give me a reason why you hate the story. I don't like comments along the lines of simply saying, your story sucks. Incredible. My, my comment for her is that Dora does have a last name. And it's um, Marquez. Is it really? Yeah, I just looked it up. Oh, also, a uh, bold thing to assume that this is a woman. What? You said she. I did. You did. No, we don't, don't... know the we don't know the gender identity of this person. Oh, I, I I truly didn't actually put any thought into that. I didn't I, mean uh, to say she at all. 
I, I went to, oh boy, can we fall on a rabbit hole for a second? About what? About this person. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, please immediately look up the profile. Nazofox2501. Oh my God, 2501. I didn't even think about it. Okay, N-A-Z-O-F-O-X-2501. Please, okay. as fast as you can get here. I, I'm there right now. Okay. Um, so let's, let's look at on her profile. She has both, uh, favorites and least favorite things. Um, so her favorite movies are, uh, Final Fantasy VII Advent Children is number one, followed heartbreakingly by Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away, which come after Final Fantasy VII. Advent oh, that's, a, that's a shame. Uh, Evil Dead 2. I, I like, I mean, yeah. three of those are real winners. Also, she lists her least favorite of things, but only certain things. Her least favorite movie is any torture porn or horror films where the bad guys get away with it. I also like she she's a big Dilbert fan. She's a huge Dilbert fan, which is very strange. Um, also, she specifically lists in least favorite video games, Dragon's Dogma. That's it. Nothing else. <laughs> Her least favorite book is 1984, which seems very strange to me because she's into a lot of very imaginative anime and she doesn't like 1984. I love that she loves Mist, the book of Atreus. I like that her least favorite manga is Kingdom Hearts because it seems like that would be right up. We keep saying she, I I just did it. Um, Let's not not gender. Did not mean to do that. I don't, I truly don't know where that came from. Yeah, let's not gender this person. But can we can we just can we just say that this is a real artifact? This profile. Yeah. It's, Wait, I need to look at profiles more often. I don't do that enough. I I I do it, and I would say nine times out of ten, it's not worth doing. It's disappointing. Mm-hmm. But then every once in a while, you get a Nazo Fox two five zero one, which the two five zero one blew me away. That I just watch. <laughs> well done. Yeah. Um, all right, so that was that was fan fiction. Um, oh, I, I did have one. Um, it's it's not that great, but um, I won't even get into it too long. But um, it's a crossover with Ben Ten. Um, it is a Kevin Eleven specific crossover called Public Service. Um, it's three chapters, and it's all about what if Kevin Eleven and the crew were caught up in the Ghost in the Shell shenanigans. Not just Kevin Eleven by himself; they're all here for reasons unknown. Um, and Kevin Eleven's working alongside the major. Uh, that's it. Okay. <laughs> that's I have it. no familiar with, familiarity with Ben 10. Wasn't a Ben 10 guy. I wasn't a Ben 10 guy either. I just knew he had 10 things. I also knew that he, there was a villain named Kevin Eleven, which I thought was very stupid. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, wh- do you think this warrants fan fiction? I do. Oh, I do. I definitely do. I, um, I don't really have my own because I'm not interested in anything that happens after the plot of this movie. And I guess without, I don't want to step on like the anime and such, but I just, I think my fan fiction wouldn't be interesting. It would honestly just be like more major contemplating her existence. Well, okay. So when I went uh, to look up fan fiction for this, what I uh, typically do is look up fan fiction, you know, on its own and then also crossovers. Mm -hmm. And as I was looking through crossovers for Ghost in the Shell, I was kind of shocked with how many I was like, I can kind of see that. Um, so, for example, uh, Transformers, I can kind of see it. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else? Uh, ben 10, I was like, ah, I could see it. Deus Ex, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Devil May Cry, weirdly, yes. 
Serial Experiments Lane. Yes. Resident Evil. Again, weirdly. Yes. Um, what? Spider- how? <laughs> what do you mean how? There could easily, there could be like a Resident Evil 2099 set in this world. Wouldn't you play that? Uh, I guess so. I guess, yeah, I, I don't I, know if that's obvious to me, but it's... I think it's obvious. <laughs> no. Spi- Spider-Man. This is essentially Spider-Man 2099. Evangelion, Mass Effect. All of these, I was like, I'm actually going to have to stretch to find a crossover that doesn't work. Get no Sonic. There is no Sonic. I could not find Sonic. Mm. Yeah. Also, there's a crossover with Alice in the Wonder Alice in Wonderland 2010 um, that I, I I controlled myself and I did not. <laughs> it exists. Good to know that it exists. Yeah. Um, that was Ghost in the Shell, I think. Yeah. Can you do a quick like two minutes on the remake? Yeah, um, so the remake got a lot of hate, um, and a lot of the hate, I think, was from people that never actually wound up seeing it. I understand the criticism of... The casting uh, was really the main thing I heard yeah, of. Yeah, I, I understand the criticism of that casting. However, it's literally a plot point that is brought up and addressed very specifically in the film, um, and that's what makes me think that a lot of those people didn't see the movie. Um, they specifically bring it up, and there's a specific plot reason why she does not look Asian, um, and that is right, but the, that's the, that's still them explaining it after the fact rather than casting an Asian actress or actor. Yeah, no. I just I agree, but I also like I hate to say this, but it's just a business choice. You would just have and not no knocking against Asian actresses. I just I don't like give me an Asian actress that is ScarJo level that what which now I think exists, but when the Ghost in the Shell remake was made in what like 2015 2014 give me an asian actress off the top of your head that would have the same billing power as scarjo oh at the time i wouldn't be able to get uh, no one. no one could yeah and which you know is it says an unfortunate thing about hollywood that there weren't that many asian actresses that could have played the role right the, yeah there's a bigger problem but i mean like if you're a studio looking to make money on like a very risky venture of an adaptation of a weird cult 1995 anime based on a cult manga like sorry you just you need a big name like that's just the reality um and that was my remake uh rant but actually i think the remake uh is closer to the original than i remembered it being while also it's a really weird experience because i think it makes the section nine section six procedural stuff much more interesting and like I said, it gives the chief a, an actual character. I think it gives Bateau and Togusa more of a character. And I think you get a much better sense of the camaraderie between those characters in the remake. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think all the philosophical uh, like questioning of identity is there, but it's a little more, it's much more ham handed. Um, and it's, it's just very clumsily done. I think it's still worthwhile to a degree. But um, yeah, it's just weirdly inverse um, what things benefit and what things lose their effectiveness. It's like the Hmm. section nine stuff that I find boring in the anime version, I think is better. But the stuff that I like in the anime, the more esoteric uh, like questions of identity are kind of greatly diminished. It looks Um, visually interesting. I I honestly might never watch it. I would say it's worth watching. I own it. I bought it um, just because... I think it's, it's, uh, I think it's an inferior product, but I think it's still worth watching. And I think it's worth watching to have the conversation either with another person or in your head about what makes them different and how both are valuable. Cause I think both are ultimately valuable. Hmm. Yeah. What have you been watching lately? 
What have you been playing? What have I been watching and playing? Um, I have been playing Elden Ring finally after not being able to for a while. I have beaten. Um, I've gotten all the way to the Air Tree uh, without giving spoilers away. I am on the next phase of the quest after reaching the Air Tree. Um, what else have I been doing? I have been watching. Uh, did I tell you I've been watching the Batman? Um, like yes. the animated series. Yeah. Been continuing that. It's really good. Um, again, like I don't think it's as good as the animated series. Um, but I think it's worth. I think it's worth people's time. I think it got looked over. Um, just because of when it came out, and then it kind of got overshadowed by the Nolan films. But it's been good. Um, and continuing to read One Piece, um, which I think is on probably the strongest arc it's been on in my mind since. Hmm. probably skypea no no any's lobby probably since any's lobby how about you i've been slowing down my one one piece watching and not that i don't like thriller bark i just am not it's not gripping me as much as the previous arcs did um, and maybe maybe i just had one piece fatigue and i needed to slow down a bit i'm not i'm not watching as many episodes per week as i used to um I saw a lot of movies, uh, rewatched a lot of stuff. I uh, rewatched, uh, well, I'm not going to mention one of them because I think we're probably, we might be doing it as our next movie um, or might be doing it. High candidate for next movie. So I'm not going to say it. Um, I rewatched Zodiac. Great movie. I rewatched The Fly. Holy cow. Well, I, which, I assume that Jeff, the Jeff Goldblum. Go- we need to, we need to do that one for the show. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Goldblum's performance in that. And I, I feel like I like it more and more every single time, but Holy cow, it, he makes some choices and it's like, it's sometimes it's like he's in a completely different movie, but it works so well. Yeah. But to be fair in that film, what's going on with him is like, he's in a completely different universe than everyone else. Yeah. True. True. Like the man. Yeah. It makes sense. I, so um, I watched the movie out of sight for the first time, Steven Soderbergh movie. I'm not huge into Steven Soderbergh, uh, but that movie was just excellent. Uh, George Clooney and JLo, like from like late nineties. Uh, it was kind of like the first movie that made George Clooney, like a more bankable star. Um, it was kind of after Batman and Robin had failed. <laughs> um, rewatched some Ghibli, uh, Totoro and Spirited Away uh let's, let's see moran and i started twin peaks or i'm re-watching twin peaks so we watched the premiere last night and the last thing i'm going to mention is and I, I briefly mentioned this to you via text is that uh brandon and i watched hard-boiled the john woo action classic i had not seen it is it had been like unavailable to like rent or stream anywhere um it is i mean so it's very clear how influential it is on a lot of American like modern action movies and like people like Tarantino and just and the John Wick movies and things like that. But it was one of the most violent movies I've ever seen in my life. So over the top, like in a funny way, like not, and I'm not, I'm not complaining about it at all. It was, there was so many people died in like just gunshots and just gunfighting it was just i could not believe what i was seeing sometimes like it's like the kind of movie where someone walks in like calmly into a room and just kills like 50 people with a gun like you one versus 50 oh you mean like a week in america <laughs> where that happens once a week yeah it's a person with a gun comes in and shoots 50 people yeah anyway, I, go on. no no you're right that that's really all yeah that's all i really had to say about it um it, highly recommended though it's ridiculous uh we ran and i looked at each other multiple times during it we we're just like that was insane uh highly recommend all right 
and that's all i got uh, all right all right well uh thank you as always for watching um stay tuned for our episode next week on kingdom hearts <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. But we got we we don't know what we're doing next week. No, no, no. We'll maybe figure King, it out. Maybe Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> I guess okay, just do it again. It's been too long, right? It's been too long since we last did it. Yeah, I think we should just transition into a Kingdom Hearts only podcast and launch right into three five eight over two days. Oh, I thought you just meant like just where we do Kingdom Hearts one over and over again until until people I don't know stop listening probably would happen immediately <laughs> the second time we do it to be like yeah we're done speaking of being done <laughs> <laughs>